Hello, this is Tim Rausenberger with BrassTenor.com. Today is Monday, October 23rd, 2017. This is episode 124. Classroom Management and Discipline Techniques. Over my past two decades in education, many people have asked me about my classroom management and ways that I discipline students. And I have to tell you that every situation is completely different. I can also tell you that what I do now is different from what I did five years ago and five years before that, going all the way back to my rookie year of teaching. Because experience is critical in any career. But when it comes to education, you really have to truly experience every type of student. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, at this point in my career, I have. Every person you can imagine on the spectrum, regardless of their nationality, race, creed, color, their IQ, special needs, and I can go on and on. And when it comes to classroom management and discipline, all of that factors in. Today I'm going to share with you different things that simply work. I'm not even just going to say they work for me. Because I'm confident if the right person does any of these things, they should work for anyone. Because I'll tell you, there's one thing that really gets under my skin. And it's when people have the audacity to say, well, I've got really, really bad kids. My kids are horrible. They're the absolute worst. They're terrible. They're disrespectful. They don't follow directions. And I have to tell you something. It's not them. It's you. Because last I checked, your classroom is your domain. And unless you're in a situation in which you simply don't have control over your domain, you really need to address that. You need to make sure you have complete and firm control over everything going on. Everything going on. And if you're in a situation where you don't have that type of control, or it's been taken from you, you probably should move on to another occupation.
Now, let's talk about a few things involving classroom management and discipline. The most, the two most important things when it comes to any child, I don't care what age they are, they could be two years old, they could be 18 years old. The two most important things they need to be cared for, feel cared about, and need to care. And there has to be respect. If those two things occur, care and respect, you can accomplish anything. You can get people to change. And the biggest problem with our world in general is that we have a lot of people who have no respect for themselves, for one another, and for their surroundings. And we absolutely have a ton of people who are extremely selfish. They don't care about others. They don't care about themselves. They don't care about anyone or anything. And that's an issue. That is an issue because our children are growing up in this type of world. It's worse now than it's ever been. But you cannot say as a teacher, I have the worst kids. You do not. Now, you have some poorly behaved kids at the start. That I can agree with. You have students who couldn't care less about what you're doing at the start. That's fine. You will have students who will judge you, who will push your buttons, who will try everything they can to irritate the living heck out of you. Your job as a professional is to figure out what makes them tick. Every person in this world has a certain way they tick. It is your responsibility to figure out everything about that child. How in the world can you discipline someone when you know nothing about them? How in the world can you have effective discipline when that person may have so many things going on in their life, more things than you ever experienced in your adult life? How can you expect to manage a classroom when the students have had such poor classroom management possibly with previous teachers or any other adults in their lives. 
It's your job to fix it. It's entirely possible that these same children might be tyrants in other classroom settings. That is not your concern because that falls under none of your business. See, that's another issue that we have in this world. People worrying about other people's business. So now that we got that all out of the way, let's fix the situation. First of all, I'm going to touch upon things that I've done as well as things you need to know and things that you need to do. They're not going to be in any particular order because I don't like reading from a list. Things just pop off the top of my head. If I have to sit down and write everything down, then it's going to take me forever to produce this episode and I want to get this information out to you. So I'm going to simply share with you anything and everything that's worked for me. And it's not going to be in any particular order. You need to take what you can from it and hopefully use it. First of all, you have to know your students inside and out. Everything about them. And you have no excuse for not being able to know everything that you need to know. Because nowadays... Everything is on the computer, whether it comes to their birthday, brothers and sisters, or other members of their family. Are their parents together? Are their two parents involved? Do they not even live with parents? Are there other types of guardians in the picture? What neighborhood do they live in, in the town where you teach. Can you gather any socioeconomic information without directly asking the child? Do you know everything about your district in that regard? In terms of the areas that are well-to-do and the ones that simply aren't. Do you know if your students have had any particular patterns that you need to be aware of? Any issues with bullying? Any issues with academic problems? Learning disabilities? 504 IEP plans? And taking those plans and knowing everything about them. When I have a 504 or an IEP student, I am asking a million questions. And you look like a rock star every single time. Because by law, we have to do it. I can't begin to tell you how many teachers I've met before. They don't know anything about their 504 IEP students. They may know that the student has one. But they could they could say something like, oh, the student needs to sit closer to the front of the to the front of the classroom. Well, what the heck is that? That's not that's not knowing your student. Knowing your student is knowing why they need to be there. 
And there's probably a lot more than just they need to be in the front of the classroom. And you dig and you find that information out. All of this information is critical. It's the ammunition that you need before you can do anything with classroom management or discipline. So in other words, you're not going to be able to have optimal classroom management and discipline within the first week of school. It's not going to happen. If you think a seating chart is going to accomplish all of those things, think again. Yes, you can put students, boy, girl, boy, girl. That's always a, a possibility and something that can help your situation. Absolutely. But not always. And I've had many times where I've done the boy, girl, boy, girl thing. And actually, they it's made everything worse. Because some of the boys actually are, or girls might be chatty with people of the opposite sex. So that sometimes just simply does not work. So you have to arm yourself with the information needed to make good, sound, educated decisions about how you're going to proceed with your management and your discipline. After you know everything and anything that you need to know about your students, which of course I didn't include all this, but it goes without saying, you make phone calls home in appropriate situations, you ask other teachers, you ask teacher teachers from previous years, or ask your administration or guidance or child study, whatever the situation is, that's what I mean by your research. I shouldn't have to say that, but there are a lot of people who don't know to do those types of things, and you need to. So after you've done all that, now you have to figure out what the issues are in the classroom. Do the children keep on talking? Are the children talking when you're teaching? Are the students off task for other reasons? Are the students doing things in the room that they're not supposed to be doing? Are they ignoring you? Are they going to continue whatever it is that they do every second of the day, regardless of whether you're there or you're not in the room? Or are they simply doing it to get under your skin, irritate you, and test you? You have to determine all these factors. And then start to devise your plans. Now, seating charts are a good way to go. But you have to be very careful when you do the boy-girl thing. Because, like I said, you can certainly have a situation where you put the wrong students next to one another. So that's always a good way to start. But again, like I said, just throwing everybody in a boy-girl situation by the second day of school, I can tell you, just psychologically, it's going to irritate the students. And you can say, well, that's too bad. Well, that's fine. If you want to say it's too bad, that's totally fine. Then there's a part of you 
sorry, but I, I think that people that have that, well, that's life is too bad type of view on everything. I think there's an ignorance that's associated with that. I think you need to be a little more open-minded. Once you have figured out how that's going to be in terms of their seating, you need to make sure that classroom rules are enforced. I have never, not once, ever put rules up on the board. And this bulletin board nonsense of these are the classroom rules, raise your hands. No. I mean, that's fine, I guess. I, I, I guess you can put it up there. I don't think it's going to hurt. But after all these years, I've never done that. This is something they need to simply learn without... This falls under an area where they need to learn it. And they don't have to have it right in front of their face at all times. Because having that type of thing on there, to me, is the same as if they were to walk into the bathroom and there is a whole entire list of rules on how to use a, a toilet. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to me. You as a teacher need to establish whatever rules you want in your classroom. I can't tell you what those rules are because every single school is different. And figure out appropriate things for your environment. I can tell you in a music classroom, rules that I always will say specifically to a music classroom will be that no one touches musical instruments without my permission. That's easy. That's very, very easy. And here's the consequence if you do. It goes without saying, but I have to say it anyway, if you are talking, you as the teacher are talking, no one else is talking. What's the reason? What's the reason? What's the reason? You need to give students reasons for things. You need to answer the question why. It can't just be because. Here's the reason why. Perfect answer to this question. Absolute proven fact, you cannot be talking and listening at the same identical time. You can't do it. You can talk or you can listen, but you can't talk and listen at the same time. It cannot be done. And that's the reason. Now they have concrete proof. Do they have to raise their hand before they speak? Some classrooms, some teachers don't mind if students call out. That's up to you to figure that out. I have had classes before where I do allow students to call out. These, Some of these classes are a lot tougher than some of the other ones I've had. And what I do in appreciation for a lot of the rules that they've followed is I lighten up on some other ones. But the lightening up can only occur, only occur once respect and care falls into place. 
Now, I've had people say to me, well, you know, these, these kids these kids are never going to care. These kids come in my room and they're cursing and I know that they use drugs or they, they're, they, they, I know that they party on the weekends and my high school students are already engaging in, in, in sexual activity or I have elementary students that have anger management issues and they don't know how to control themselves. This is never going to happen. Well, the second you have that approach, it's not going to happen. You need to have an open mind. You need to understand, once again, like I said earlier, everybody ticks a certain way. You need to figure out what it is that's making that student tick. Now, After you understand everything about your students, you need to get to know the students. Here's one thing that will help. You have to know everyone by name, and you have to make sure to greet them. Not just when they come to your classroom, which is, is very, very good to do, and very important to do, is to greet the students as they come in. But when you see them in other areas... When you greet a person and you greet them using their name, it might be the only time throughout the entire day that that even occurs. That means something to a person. That's important. It matters. You're telling the person, without saying it, you're telling them, you matter to me. You are important to me. I value you as a person. And then you engage in the conversation. Boy, those, you know, the, 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 that football team really stinks. Oh, you know, did, did you happen to see that on TV last night? What were they thinking? Talk about some type of current issue. Now you're making a connection with a student. It might be something you don't know anything about. You got to get out of your comfort zone then. You need to understand it. You don't understand Pokemon? Understand it. And if you don't if you don't understand how a video game works, then ask the student. My goodness. With anything that a student is passionate about, they are only too eager to tell you all about it only too eager. Take an interest in what they do. Too many students go through their lives with people who don't care about them. They don't care about their interests. And I, I'm amazed at the number of people in education who try to discipline and they never think back to when they were growing up. And the things that would have mattered to them a lot, or the things that were done to them that are not being done now. Or they had an approach that they followed, which may have involved physical repercussions at home that are not possible today. 
or they don't occur. I've had a, a lot of students over the years who have given me a lot of trouble. I can tell you my favorite classrooms have been, continue to be, and will always be my favorite classes. The students who have been my troublemakers always seem to turn out to be some of my best students. Which is funny because a lot of my colleagues, they're the opposite. They just yell at the troublemakers. In my entire career, 20 years, I have given zero detentions. I have given zero suspensions. In my entire career, I have never done anything to a, a student to intentionally and with, with hurtful intent embarrass them in front of an entire class. Yet, it happened so many times to me when I was growing up. More times than I can possibly count. And it continues today. What's wrong with people? This isn't the way that we discipline. This isn't going to work. You need to figure out a way with all of your students to demonstrate a way that you care about them and you respect them. And by doing so, hopefully... They're going to care about themselves. They are going to respect themselves. They are going to be reciprocal and give everything back to you and much more. And then hopefully it will carry over to other people and other situations. I know in the situations where I, in the places where I've taught, I know, and I don't say this in a braggadocio type of way, but I am positive that my approach to discipline and classroom management and the connections I make to students have absolutely helped the school community where I have worked. It has probably been critical in the re a reduction of fights, in a reduction of anger and violence, for students to be able to rationalize, for students to be able to think things through. This is critical thinking, my friends. There is critical thinking that goes beyond the world of academia. Getting control of your emotions. Thinking things through. We call that life. I'll give you a few situations I've had over the years with some difficult students and difficult classrooms. My rookie year of teaching. I don't recommend this. 
you could do it. I would never do it again, but this is what I did. I had a class with students that I know, sadly, went to prison after graduating high school or before graduating from high school. Many of them got involved with drugs and alcohol and other illegal substances. Which was really unfortunate. And I had these students when they were in seventh grade. And I got these students and I was told by all the other teachers that it was a, it was a music class where they were going to be cycling through my class. And I had six different music classes I was going to teach over the course of that the year during that particular period of time. And this particular crew, I think they were in the fourth cycle. I remember the teacher saying, oh my goodness, when you get them, buckle your, your, your seatbelt because you're going to be in for a long ride. And I remember getting them on the first day and they were a handful. There were kids that were being picked on in class. There were kids that were being bullied. There were kids in the class who ran the classroom. There were kids that were outwardly being jerks to others. Kids that were cursing. Kids who were talking over me. I did all of the things I mentioned earlier. I made a connection to all of the students. I took the time to get to know all of them. And after a few days, and this is something I would not recommend any longer, this did work for me and it needs to be done the right way. After a few days of being a really, really nice person, somebody said something, and I know it involved a profanity, and I blew my stack. And students had never seen that side of me before. They'd seen me throughout the course of the school year in the hallway, and they'd heard from other students about who I was, that I was this nice guy. They never, ever envisioned that I had that in me. And I can't say I'm necessarily proud of that, it was a method that was taught to me when I was in college. It works. I don't like using it anymore. I have other ways now. But if you have a planned blow-up, and you can do it without looking like a crazy person, you know what you're going to say. And most importantly... You stress to the students that you're not angry with them. You have to say that. Because when students hear someone raising their voice, they always think that the, the teacher is angry with them. You always say to students, I'm not angry with you, I'm disappointed in you. And students know the difference. You're not angry with them. Means that there's not rage. 
you're disappointed. There's not rage. There's sadness. There's a very big difference there. And when a student knows that, in my experience, they usually feel pretty awful. It's in the delivery. It can't be every day. You can't blow your stack every day. If you do it every single day, blowing your stack every day would be the equivalent of trying to yell every single day or trying to be soft every single day or trying to be the same every single day. It doesn't work. You've got to vary things. Now, you don't want to be become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That gets to be crazy. You can't be completely unpredictable all the time. Then you'll really mess students up. But I remember exploding on that class. And the next day, the kids who had been bullied unmercifully all came up to me and thanked me. They said, we have had the worst year. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for saying that. Hopefully things are going to get better now. And they did. Two weeks later, my principal came in. I was uh, doing the history of music with my seventh graders. And uh, it was not not a fun situation for me. It was just the way that the curriculum was. But I had to do the in, pretty much a truncated, and I mean really truncated, version of the history of music in a six-week span. And we were doing the classical period, and I was discussing Beethoven. And I played Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and I was actually showing them how the theme was broken down on the board. And I'll never forget a boy named John, major troublemaker. Oh my goodness, he got in so much trouble later on in life. But John raised his hands with my principal in the room. Huge observation in my teaching career. And he looked at me and he said, Mr. R, during lunch today, can I come in your room and can we listen to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony together? That story of that particular student saying that was shared by my principal with every other administrator in the district. That story alone put me on the radar of other people because she realized right then and there that I had taken children who were completely and totally and utterly out of control And I made them into sane, rational human beings and got them to care and got them to be respectful. And it was for those reasons that administrators started to understand what I was able to do with students in the classroom.
Lots of things have happened over the years. Lots of different ways that I've done things. I try to incorporate humor into my classes. I like to make kids smile. I like to make kids laugh. I think that that's important. I think that when they see you laugh, and when you can laugh along with them, I think that's critical. I think you need to master being very, very, very serious about what you do without ever letting them completely know it. In other words, have some self-deprecation. Because if you're too serious about your subject area, it doesn't always come off the best. You have to know your stuff inside out. Make sure the students, the students are going to see it through your actions and your passion. They're just going to see it on an everyday basis anyway. And that also is going to see the care that you have and the, and the, the respect that you have for your particular area of study. And you may have to take a very, very different angle when it comes to certain types of students. I've had students before who have kicked me. They've punched me. They've cursed me out. Spit on me. And I've never flipped out. And I've never yelled, go to the principal. Now you're making it somebody else's problem. Now you're sending them somewhere else where an administrator, quite honestly, doesn't want to have to deal with it. Probably again. The administrator may not have the complete story by the time the person gets down there. And the story may get twisted and distorted. And you're taking your dirty laundry. And sending it elsewhere. If it happens in your classroom, you need to do everything you can to try to resolve the situation. Yes, I understand you might work in a school where you've been told if this happens and this is what you have to do. I'm happy to say I've never been in that situation. Getting students to care, getting them to be respectful. Depending on the class, you need to find different ways to do that. Some classes you can do exercises which come with strong recommendation from people with pie-in-the-sky ideas, and others have to be completely unconventional. They have to be off-the-wall different. If you want a great way to get kids to care and to be respectful... Find something and some way that they're going to see or hear something that's going to move them to tears. If you can do that and you can follow up with the right words, 
that's a game changer. Now, I've had some students who have been extremely chatty before. And I'm going to share with you something I did this past year. This will be my last thing. And then we'll get into this discussion again at another time. But this was one of my finest moments as an educator. and actually happened within the last year. And I'm very proud of this. Because it was something that I tried. And you have to understand, sometimes you're going to try things and they're not going to work. But this this one did. I had these four students in a class of 35. And it was a chorus. And to be honest, the four of them really didn't want to be there. They were forced to take the class. They didn't want to sing. They wanted to be with their friends in one of the other electives out there. These were students in high school. And all, all four of them were really popular kids. They were athletes. All four of them happened to also be on the football team. And for the first two weeks, I could tell this was going to be my toughest class. Because besides those four boys... I had probably about seven or eight other kids in the class who were also a real handful. But I didn't judge right away. Because, like every other situation, there's a story. There's a reason these students are the way that they are. And for two weeks, they came into my room... And I had very firm rules in place, not talking when I'm speaking. When we warm up, I take warm-ups very, very, very seriously because I don't want anybody getting hurt. I want everybody doing everything appropriately. And warm-ups are incredibly important in terms of getting everyone on the same page and focused and working as a team. And I was very adamant about that. I was also very adamant about them being on time for my class, not coming in late because I consider that to be disrespectful. And I would say two weeks in, about... 20 to 22 out of the 35 kids had completely bought into what I was doing. I wasn't having any issues with them. And they were coming up to me and saying, wow, you know, this is fun. I like this class. And even with kids that hadn't wanted, you know, they didn't want to be in there. Then I had like, but, but 10 to 12 kids or so, 13, 14 kids. There was still a little bit of an itch including these four boys. So the other ones, I had to talk to them and look into their situations a little bit more, found out that in almost every situation, there were major family issues, huge problems. And I just spoke to the students, and I didn't get into anything personal. I don't think that that's necessary, nor do I think it's appropriate. But I did say to them, listen, you know, I uh, 
I understand that you may not want to be in here. I appreciate that you've given me a chance, that you're trying hard for me. Uh, what do you like to do? What are your interests? And just doing that, I was able to get everyone else in the class over the course of time to understand that I truly cared about them very, very much. And then I still had these four boys. And every single day, they wouldn't stop talking and goofing off in the classroom. And it's like they were taking over the room. And here's how I approached it. I didn't really say much to them. I didn't really get angry. I didn't really say anything. But I didn't give them the time of day. And I didn't go out of my way to make sure they were getting the attention that they so desperately wanted. That the rest of the class really wasn't giving them either. Because the rest of the class was largely ignoring them. But the rest of the class was also intimidated by them because these were some pretty big athletes. And I just waited until the right opportunity. And one day, it came. Because what happened was, the class ended, and when it ended, they were the last four to leave the room. And I simply said to them, hey, can you guys stay behind for a moment? And they looked at me, as if to say, wow, we're in trouble. I said, no, 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 you're not in trouble. I said, just sit down for a few minutes. Make yourself comfortable. And they're not saying anything now. Now they were very quiet. And I said to the four of them, I said, listen, I said, you guys have been coming in for two weeks. I told you you needed to have a binder in my class. Where's your binder? We don't have one. Oh, okay. I said, uh, so I went to my desk and I pulled out four brand new binders for them. I said, here you go. I said, uh, do you have anything to write with? Nah, parents didn't get us anything. Okay, alright, well here you go. Here's everything that you need. Here's some pencils. Here's some pens. You're good to go. And so they did. They finally had the binders and pencils and pens that they never had all year. Because they were so poor. And their parents, for whatever reason, didn't get them these things. They didn't say thank you. Which I wasn't very happy about. But you know what? We cross one bridge at a time. And we address that issue later. And don't think for a minute that I don't think it's important. But you can't do everything all at once. And I looked at them and I said, listen, you got to open up these brand new binders I gave you. I said, I need you to open them up and you got to write a pass for yourself. Do you know how to write a pass? I said, nah, we've never done that. Whenever we got in trouble... Other people write the pass out for us. So that's fine. I said, I'm going to teach you how to write a pass out for yourself. 
told him, I said, you got to put your name down. Don't just put your first name. You know, we're big boys now. We're in high school. First and last name. You put your date down. Put the time. You're coming from music class. You put my name in the music room, the room number. Where you're going to, what subject, name of the teacher, name and the number of their classroom. I said, and then I'm going to sign it, and you'll be on your way. And they finished doing the writing up their passes, and they handed them to me. And I said, oh, I almost forgot. When you get to your classrooms, you need to hand this to the teacher and apologize to the teacher for coming into their class late. And then you need to ask the teacher if you can apologize to the entire class for being late. Because after all, you are interrupting their education. And that's not cool. You are entering a teacher's class late and you're interrupting the flow of their lesson. And that's not cool. No different than every day you've been in my room and I've been so nice and I haven't yelled at you and I haven't given you detention and I haven't sent you down to the office and there have been no repercussions as you continue to interrupt me and make everybody's life miserable in here. So you're going to do those things when you get to that classroom. I said, oh yeah, I forgot one thing. There's a class waiting outside ready to come into the room right now. And here's what you have to do with that particular class. It's very simple. I said, as you pass by that class, here's what's going to need to happen right now. You are going to need to go up to all 30 students, all 30 of them. And you give them a heartfelt apology for interrupting their education in my classroom because they appreciate what I give to them on a daily basis. And one of the four kids looked at me and said, Yo, bro, I'm sorry. Now, obviously, I don't want to be called bro. That's for sure. I definitely do not want to be called bro by anyone. But that's something we're going to address later. And I just said that to myself. We'll get into that issue later on. But I also said to them, here's what you cannot do. You cannot try to get out of this and try to shrug it off and say nothing. And if you even dare go up to any of these students in your classroom and my classroom or the teacher and you say anything along the lines of, you know, yo, my bad. 
I will go to your football coach and make sure you're benched at the next game. Because you see, I had already spoken to the football coach about this situation. And the football coach told me, if you have any problems, just let me know. They won't play at the next game. So I knew this in advance. And these kids knew I, w I meant business. And he said, yo, bro, I'm really sorry. I said, listen, I don't accept your apology. I'm going to tell you why I don't accept your apology. I don't accept your apology because if you were truly sorry, then the 57 times I asked you to stop talking in class, and all the times that you interrupted the education of other students in the room and interrupted my lesson, you would have been sorry all those other times. So you take 24 hours to think this over. Then you come back to me and then I might accept your apology. And they were upset. And they left my room with their heads down. And one of the four, four kids started to laugh. And the other three looked at him and they cursed him out. Because they knew I meant business and they knew that was not cool. I heard him go in the hallway. I heard all the apologies. I followed up with all four of those teachers. I said, did these students do this? Did they apologize to you? And they apologized to the classrooms. Yes, they did. Because you got to follow up. And then what happened the next day? Well, it was in my classroom before homeroom had started, and one of the four students came into my room and said, Mr. R., can I talk to you for a minute? I said, absolutely. He said, listen, uh, you know, you're a really good guy, and uh, we haven't really given you a chance, and we have really treated you badly, and I'm really sorry. And then they said a lot of other, he, he said a lot of other things to me and using his own lingo. But I knew that he was really speaking from his heart. And I said, I appreciate that a lot. That means a lot to me. You really made my day. I want you to know that. And he said, I'm going to try harder. I said, I appreciate that. I said, you know, if you talk in class, I don't mind every once in a while. Said it's gotten out of control, though. You need to control it. I had another student that came in. Same thing. This wasn't planned. And this was not a pack mentality. They were coming in one at a time. They wanted to talk to me privately because they were ashamed of themselves. Because I, they knew I was a good guy and I was being fair with them. And I didn't treat them horribly and I didn't yell at them and I didn't embarrass them. And I didn't say terrible things about them ever. And then the other two came in and they cried. And they cried hard. Came in separately. One of them opened up. He was telling me about all different types of problems with his family. And he's never had a teacher that's actually talked to him like this and actually talked to him with respect and with care. And I'm also very proud to say that that particular student, his first marking period, 
he got honor roll for the first time in his life. And the reaction that he had, I, you, you would have thought he was in first grade the way that he reacted. Kid six foot three, big football kid, in tears, jumping up and down over the fact that he made it into the honor, made it as an honor roll student. That's awesome. Not nearly as awesome as this. At the end of that particular day, I was waiting outside my room, supervising the hallway, making sure everything was fine, keeping the peace. Remember, all four of them were members of the football team. And that day, at the end of the day, every member of the football team lined up in front of my room they came up to me, they pounded my fist, or they gave me high five, or they shook my hand. And since that day, I haven't had a discipline problem of any kind with any student in the entire school. Because that entire football team gave me their nod of approval. And they know how much I care. And they know that I'm invested in their education and I care about them as human beings. And I am always going to be there to help them in any way to learn and to grow. Have they had their moment since then where they've returned to knucklehead status? The answer is yes. But the last time I checked... You're not perfect, and neither am I. So why do the kids have to be perfect? I really hope that a lot of these thoughts, ideas, experiences will help you in some way. As always, I encourage you to reach out to me if you have questions, comments, concerns, anything I can do to help you out. With your own situation in any way, I'll be more than happy to do so.